you know, you think back on, like, he did look at us. He did squeeze our hands. Like, did we give up? And I know that we didn't. And I know that. But sometimes at work, you know, when you see patients or just whatever it is, it is in the back of your head. I call it the doctor daughter. And it was really hard to figure out who's the doctor, who's the daughter, who's this mashup of a person that I've become. What I've looked back on is how long I've been in medicine. During that time, I've probably built up a lot of walls and learned to compartmentalize things very easily. And that feels very comfortable. And it felt very uncomfortable to experience the emotions of sadness and loss and grief and these profound emotions that we feel. Hey, my name is Lizzie. And my name is Julia. And we're both internal medicine residents. You're listening to Review of Systems, the podcast that explores the past, present, and future of medical education through conversations with experts and learners alike. As a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast may not be those of the hosts or the institutions that we work for. In today's episode, we talked to fellow PGY2IM resident, Dr. Nicole Reed, and our beloved internal medicine clinic attendings, Dr. Kelly White and Dr. Suzanne Brandenburg, about navigating grief while working in medicine and the added role that physicians often take when a loved one is ill. Nicole, you take it away. Uh, I'm Nicole. I'm a second year resident here at the University of Colorado. I'm Kelly White on faculty here at University of Colorado Internal Medicine. Yeah, and I'm Suzanne Brandenburg, also on faculty here in Internal Medicine at the University of Colorado. My name is Julia Fast. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, talk about what you were talking about downstairs, and then I'll go in with the prompt. Yeah, so I think what got us thinking about this whole idea, which is like still formulating in our brains and we wanted to have a discussion about it, um, is that during second year, one of my best friends that I grew up with died and he died from likely cirrhosis, which is something that we see in the hospital all the time. And so I kind of found myself experiencing that situation that we see very often as residents a lot differently after he died and also going through my grief with that experience and then like working a lot as someone who deals with other people's grief. And I think it just got Julia and I thinking about how as physicians, we obviously experience things that everyone else in the world does, but we have this like different perspective on it that can make things harder and better in some ways and just like very, very different um, in that we come at our personal experiences from a different angle. And we wanted to look into this more and it would like probably be something that we could talk to people for like hours and hours about. Um, But we know that it's been something that has affected your guys' lives and you've also been like very open and candid about experiences with the rest of the residency, which I think was like very helpful for me in that situation, knowing that this is also a unique experience for other folks. 
Um, and so we wanted to have you on to talk about this. And Julia. We really appreciate you guys coming on here. I know this isn't something that's like easy to talk about by any means, um, but something that we kind of going off of what Lizzie was saying. So we deal with death, obviously, in our job. <laughs> every single day. Like I pronounced a patient today. It's just something that comes up professionally a lot for us. And I think there's a totally different mindset once you're dealing with it personally, I assume. And I'm just kind of wondering how do you balance that? Like all of the professional experience with it and uh, like the emotions that go along with that in contrast to like once you're actually dealing with it personally, does it like change the way that you deal with your grief, would you say? Um, would you say that like you feel like you have a different perspective on it? Is it hard to kind of flip over into like the personal side when you're so used to being on that professional side? Um, just kind of some thoughts about uh, any experiences you guys might have had. Yeah, um, I, I think about this a lot. So it was end of April, my intern year, literally last night shift um, at one of the hospitals. And my mom called me about 15 minutes before the end of the shift. It's an unknown number. So I'm thinking like some critical lab, whatever. And she told me that my dad um, was at a hospital back at home and that he had been shocked twice in the ambulance. And hearing that was just enough for me to know where it was going. So kind of long story short, we spent about seven days in the ICU hoping that things would reverse when they were not. Um, it was about 35 agonizing hours until he finally passed. And I think a lot about those 35 hours. And I think about a patient I had earlier that month where they had transitioned to comfort care. And, you know, I didn't really think much of it. You know, you, you check in when you're pre-rounding. And other than that, you know, you get a message from the nurse and that's mm -hmm. about it. And then I think about that experience that I had and how agonizing it was. That's the only word I can describe it. And, you know, looking back on the patients that I've experienced with that and having gone through this, I think that the biggest thing I would do differently is just be there for the family and the smallest amount of showing, you know, kindness and comfort to families could really go a long way. And just thinking of those patients that, they're still on your team. They're still with us and treating them just the same. And the families, for that matter, they become equally as impacted. All right. I'll say something that took a lot longer. I mean, I had my, my story is I had lost both my parents um, and I was the primary caregiver for them one after another. And I um, and I'm old, like I've been doing this for a really long time. And I've been fortunate not to have had a lot of really, really close loss in my life. And so at any point in your career, how you look at medicine can change. But it was so jumbled up, me being, I call it the doctor daughter. Yeah. And it was really hard to figure out who's the doctor, who's the daughter, who's this mashup of a person that I've become. And, uh, and I think I'm maybe more empathetic now than I was before. Um, but it's, um, I think the other thing kind of maybe a reflection similar to what you were mentioning is this idea of, oh, good, we got hospice set up early for this patient. Like, isn't that great? Um, and yes, it is great, but it can be so hard every minute. And 
we talk about that failure of people only being in hospice for hours, but being in hospice for months in some cases can be equally agonizing. And I don't know that we think about the support that the patient and the family need. Yeah, that was a terrifying thought of, I had never, ever thought that, okay, this process could take longer than immediately extubated and not going to pass by 6 p.m. tonight. And the thought of going into weeks, potentially having to move out of the ICU room to some ward room um, to a inpatient hospice was just terrifying. And you don't think about that till you're in it and think about how distressing that is. And yeah, I completely agree. I think your question made me think about what you guys are talking about and then also kind of managing my grief while seeing patients. And that was really difficult. Uh, my most recent experience with grief, well, <laughs> uh, is um, the loss of my oldest brother. Um, he died. Uh, he was diagnosed with um, an aggressive form of they couldn't even really tell if it was esophageal or stomach cancer. It was so aggressive uh, in uh, June of 2020. And he died uh, October 1st of 2020. Uh, and we were, we were very close and our families were close. And um, so I was doctor sister um, and kind of doctor, do I'm the only medical person in my family of five siblings. And so I was relaying a lot of information. I would sometimes be on a call with the oncologist and then go see a patient uh, and, and switch back and forth like immediately. Uh, so I experienced a lot of what you guys are talking about too. Um, and I think that what I've looked back on is how long I've been in medicine, which is also a long time. <laughs> and uh, during that time, I've probably built up a lot of walls and learned to compartmentalize things very easily. Mm -hmm. And that feels very comfortable. Mm -hmm. And it felt very uncomfortable to experience the emotions of sadness and loss and grief and these profound emotions that we feel. Uh, and I guess I'm still learning how to do that. I think that's mm -hmm. a journey and I will take any advice. I'm open to it. And I think that uh, for me, when my brother died, it, it wasn't the first loss. It was, my father died when I was 19 very suddenly. And so I think that I thought I was all healed up from that, of course, and doing so well. And then I think this other loss really brought a lot of that out. Well, I was going to say, I think the, the compartmentalizing piece really resonates with me. I think we all find different ways to cope with yep. the work we do in medicine and compartmentalizing is why I'm a master compartmentalizer. You know, I feel like it's something I really got really, really good at, um, but then to a fault. So yeah. you struggle in the moment. I can, and you, and you also are, you know, you're a superhuman because you're a physician. And so you do it all and you keep going to work and you keep seeing patients 
and you keep doing everything. And, you know, I can be like zooming from, you know, the room next to where my dad is. And I think I don't need to take, I don't, I don't think about taking time off. It's not even a conscious decision. When should I take time off? You just do it. Um, and so I think the compartmentalizing really is not good for wellness at a certain point, even if it's a, honestly a very useful coping mechanism at another point that just made me think of that. Yeah, I completely agree. And with, you know, when I was hit, it, when grief comes, it's not like, again, I plan on taking time off. It one specific um, thing I can think about is, so this, my dad passed May 1st, came back to start our last block of intern year. I think it was like the 23rd of May. And I was on wards and, you know, the demanding schedule. And I immediately went into another wards month and then had clinic and step three. And it was just crazy. So we're now in September, been four months. And I'm like, okay, I, not that I should be over this, but I'd expect to not feel like my world is crumbling anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was in the ICU at the VA and I was standing in a room where a patient had an MI and they were cardiogenic shock-like and the nurse is asking me, you know, what do you want to do? And the fellow standing behind me and I'm just frozen. I couldn't make a decision. I couldn't even think of a lactate, like to even order that. And it was just the gravity of the responsibility that now I have and the privilege in looking at this patient as if this is my dad and now who am I to be doing this? And I just froze. And it, I went home that day. I didn't go to work the next day. And it's like you compartmentalize so much and then it just hits you out of nowhere in these ways that you would never, ever expect. I had a similar experience where like I was at work when I found out that Joe died. Like random people had texted me and I was kind of like – in shock, but also like you're in the hospital and you're so used to like, okay, like we have to go do this para and like, were you there? Uh, I came. Uh, or were you there like swings, the next so day? So I showed up after. And it's just like feels so natural to push through that stuff in medicine when you're like in that environment in the hospital with like your list and your patients and your millions of things to do to just be like, well, we're just like plowing forward, which then it catches up to you in weird ways. And I was on Mickey the next month with you. We had a lot of young people with cirrhosis. Yeah. And I like to the point where I didn't even think that that was going to happen, that I was going to see these people and just be like, that is him. And like, this is his experience. And like, I wasn't there and we weren't there. And it's crazy to me that I didn't even think about that, that I, like, compartmentalize so much that you're, like, oh, it's fine. Like, we, like, did the stuff. Like, we're sad. We miss him. But you don't realize that it's going to pop up at work, which a lot of people aren't faced with that at work. (laughs) They're not faced with, like, seeing the similar situations that their family members passed away in, which is an interesting thing that we deal with. It's hard. Kind of going off of that, do you think it's actually harder or do you think it's easier to process these situations being a doctor? Like with your experiences, because we're so good at compartmentalizing, do you think it almost makes it more difficult that you have to go in and be in these situations that remind you so much of your like 
person that you lost? Um, or do you think because we face that so often, it makes it easier? I guess I think I think we can't generalize about that. Everybody's road through yeah. the journey of grief is going to be different, and I would never assume that anyone's is easier or harder than anybody else's. But I think it is complicated. It's that, seeing it, but then it's also – like what do you, what do you call that Monday quarterbacking or something, you know, so that, that, that thing where you, you know, you, whether you were involved, you know, I can tell you about like all my guilt as doctor daughter or all my anger at how I, you know, anger, I just say it at how I think my parents were or weren't treated, you know, properly or what could have been, should have been, might've been like, that's certainly probably not healthy, but I'm not going to pretend it's not part of this whole jumble of things that go on in my head and in my with my emotions. Yeah, I think the feeling like a failure. Yeah, I definitely felt that way. And I mean, I know that, again, like you said, grief isn't easier or harder for anyone regardless. So I know my mom, who's not in medicine at all, um, she was a fourth grade teacher. She has so many questions, so many doubts. And I mean, I do too. And, you know, from the time that she called me, her phone wasn't working. So it was in the ER of the hospital. So a friend, a family friend texted and had told me, you know, he's intubated and um, not not waking up is what they said. And I, my first thought was like, are, I said, are they cooling him? Is it an oxic brain injury? Are they doing that? And he said, no, temperature's fine. And in that moment, it's like, I can't do anything. This is not my role. And I made a very conscious effort that entire week to not look at the chart, to not look things up, to not look at success rates of, you know, time course of, you know, anoxic brain injuries, percentages of people who come out of it and what timeline or else I would just go crazy. And I, I have a lot of doubts. I, you know, you think back on like, he did look at us. He did squeeze our hands. Like, did we give up? And I know that we didn't. And I know that, but sometimes at work, you know, when you see patients or just whatever it is, it is in the back of your head. I think like something I've heard you guys say is talking about kind of like the guilt piece, but also like the extra role that gets placed on like the physician in the family that like you are wanting to keep track of everything, making sure the medical team is doing everything right, like doing all the appointments, looking at all the stuff while also dealing with this really, really hard situation without all of that. Um, and I don't know if you have like more to speak to that, but it just seems like it's something that everyone feels like they want to take on, but also it seems really, really hard too. Yeah. I don't know how to get it right. You know, you, you, you could, if I, if I did less, I'd feel more guilty that I was less of an advocate Maybe advocate's too positive of a word because it could have been a detriment as much as an advocate, right? Whereas, and if you do more, then you're crossing the line and and maybe hurting yourself or your family. Or it's I, I don't I don't know how you get it right, but I think it's it's that it's a tension. It's a constant tension. Um, yeah, I think the hardest part for me was. Um, 
you know, family would ask me like, well, he's moving his leg. Like, isn't that good? And all I'm thinking is like, this is non-purposeful, like myotonic jerking movement. And I can't explain that. It's just impossible. And, you know, just feeling like this go between, but you can't explain anything. I don't know. It was very, it was a lot more difficult than I expected. My mom and I are like, best friends, closest people ever. And that was the hardest week of our relationship because we're speaking two different languages at this point. No matter how much I think I'm explaining things, it was not coming across, which was also eye-opening to me with our patients. You know, we try to explain to them years of what we know in five minutes. And it just really humbled me that you know, maybe I'm not a good communicator. Maybe I should think about that and think about how I'm coming across at work and, you know, also my personal life. I know I have a question kind of along those lines. So I think something that I don't know, I know at least when I was in med school, there was a lot of like curriculum around how to break bad news. You get handed these like, uh, acronyms of go through these yeah like and Mm -hmm. say these things and that's how you're going to be viewed as like an empathetic doctor I'm just wondering in your experiences did you ever feel like your loved ones providers were just like going through a script and like or did you ever have someone that went above and beyond and like what made them above and beyond or anyone that was really bad and that like what made that like such a bad experience like I have one I guess so yeah my so yeah. Um, are we calling out names? But they won't know about it, will they? If I they say nice know. things. Yeah. So, yeah. Judy Blaine, nephrologist, um, you guys may or may not know. But that she's an example of somebody who just figures out who the human is in front of her and talks to that person. Um, like, so my dad was incredibly, like, highly educated, super thoughtful, 100% cognitively. They're very curious. Um, and so they could, even though he was dying they could work on such a high level communicating with each other. And um, and that's the doctor he respected the most. That's the person he wanted to talk to. That's the person who made him feel um, like the whole person that he was. Um, but it wasn't anything about a certain way to say any kind of a thing. It was just knowing who your patient is, um, listening and figuring out how to talk to them. I think uh, for my brother, it was a strange time. It was COVID in California. So that's a, it, he never could even have his wife there for any of his chemo. And uh, he never met any of his doctors in person unless he was hospitalized. And uh, so that was really difficult. And it was a lot to have all that communicated on these zoom meetings. However, I think my brother kind of the way he was like in finance and he wanted the straight, he wanted the facts and he got the facts. Uh, There was someone, if we're doing, if we're doing shout outs, I have to, (laughs) because there was someone here that was just so incredibly supportive to me. And then um, through that, to my brother, um, Chris Liu, he's former resident, chief resident, oncologist here, amazing uh, human being and physician. And he, I just reached out to him uh, when this happened and he supported me and um, like literally in the kindest, uh, most 
thoughtful way I could ever imagine. And that actually was such an incredible thing for me to see and think that I could offer that to somebody else one day. I hope that I could. Yeah, we had um, the Saturday morning before we transitioned to comfort care, the neurologist came in and talked to myself, my mom, and a few of my aunts. And the way he just sat, took his time. I mean, to say this news and have it be a 10-minute conversation seems, you know, how can you say that much in such a little amount of time? But what he said in that time was so meaningful and impacted everyone and got us to make the decision we did and taking away any type of like guilt that I had, any questions my mom had, just an excellent communicator. Um, So he was just great. And I think that just being compassionate and taking that time, um, even though it's really not a lot, seems like an eternity to the family. I thought you were going to say something. All I have to say is I'm on CICU right now, and I think that I have not taken adequate time. And so I feel like I hope people listening to this also can like kind of hear what you guys are saying and take that and incorporate into their practice because it is like you get busy and you're like, well, they haven't switched to DNR, DNI yet. And like, they're going to code and it's going to be terrible. It's like, that might be what needs to happen. And I think we need to appreciate that as healthcare providers and I'm just wondering, like, how has your experience on, like, a personal level with the healthcare system changed your practice? I want to put everyone on a high-intensity statin. (laughs) Uh, No. You're speaking my language. I just have to say that as a future cardiologist. I want to be on one. (laughs) COVID was bad. This all started in COVID for me, too. I mean, it was – I could sneak – I can't tell you the places I snuck into because of who I am, right? You know, I got snuck in Denver Health um, ER in the height of COVID, which was, you know, easy for me, hard for anybody else. But um, but, uh, but that – I think that what happened during that time, when we have our own personal experiences, but there was so many of those lessons about – um, when you have to make choices and when people are separated from their family members. And so to have that gift of, again, being in a room with a patient, their provider, their family and loved ones, to not take advantage of that would be a shame not to have learned that from all the fallout um, of the pandemic and our personal experiences. I think something that I haven't had to do yet, but definitely will an intern year again, looking back, you know, I can't say that the advice I'm going to give I was doing. But um, the night that my dad passed, I had just fallen asleep. My aunt was asleep. We were on this futon. It was loud because the sounds of this are not great. And I woke up. The lights were on. It was eerily quiet. And I saw the um, night intensivist standing at the foot of the bed, obviously pronouncing, calling it. And then just walks out. We had no direction on just what happened to the body, like logistically. What do we, you know, what do we do now? I mean, yes, we will leave and that will be that, but just so lost. Mm -hmm. And I remember intern year going with my senior on my own and pronouncing and thinking, you know, I understand what I I can understand what he was doing mm-hmm. and I can understand, you know, what more was there to say. But just 
again, taking the extra time, you know, a hand on the shoulder, I'm sorry for your loss um, to the family members, or just, I'm going to give you a second and then we can talk after, or, you know, cluing the nurse in on what's going on, just so that someone's kind of just giving this extra layer of support and thought. And again, something so little could just really go a long way. I, I mean, maybe this is too repetitive, but I, so I, my, I had both of, both of my losses happened in home hospice, so at, at home. Mm-hmm. And so the first, when my father passed away, the nurse comes out and, and this is my first time having that. So she, the first nurse was very, explained everything really carefully. Now this is what's going to happen. You know, do you have an outfit you want them to be in? You know, the, the you know how we're going to do this. This is what's going to happen. The mortuary, like it's you know, it's a whole bunch of stuff. And it's like, oh, okay, this is a lot. But step by step by step, you do what you need to do. Um, and then when my mom passed away, um, it was a different nurse on call, and and that wasn't her that how she did things. And so I mean, I knew what to expect, but. Um, I was like, oh, well, we picked out an outfit for mom, you know, like, oh, she's being cremated. There's no, you don't need clothes. Like, I mean, like everything we said, she was very matter of fact, just like, nope, 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 nope. Um, And maybe, and I think the anecdote is that it's, you know, I mean, I I could say, well, I'm a doctor. I know they're being cremated. I know clothes don't matter. But on the other hand, clothes matter. And we dressed my dad in this outfit and my mom cared more about what she looked like than my dad did. And so it's a, it's like some, it's symbolic, but it's those like little tiny moments where maybe you think the family is crushed because the loss has happened, but that time right afterwards is such a vulnerable time and an opportunity to just um, hold their hand a little bit. Yeah. No one tells the family what to expect after that. I, as an intern at the time, almost towards the end intern year, I had no idea what this process looked like. Yeah, there's I've, a lot of it that we don't know, yeah. we don't learn about. You know, yeah. pop in and out, you know. Yeah. I almost wonder if, like, we spend so much time on how to say the right things and, like, going through the steps of a death exam, why don't we get training on, like, what happens after? Because, honestly, I think if I was in that situation and someone asked me that, I hate to admit this, but I think I would say I have to ask the nurse. Like, I don't actually know. I know I call the coroner. I fill out the paperwork. I do these things. But, like, that's just not something that we are trained on at all. We know, like, our part. And then we know that other people come in and do other stuff. And it happens. And Yeah. Yeah. But, like, we should be a resource. And it's an important piece of our patients' like care. To know that. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I, we work at so many different institutions. Yeah. It's definitely hard to know what happens at each one. But I think just taking that time, like, I don't know the answer, but I will find out mm-hmm. and that myself or someone else will come in. Yeah. Just having the wherewithal that, like, this could be you someday. How would you want your family treated in this situation? And again, it doesn't have to be this lengthy discussion. I think as much of a, like, hand on the shoulder or whatnot, like I'll be back or I'll let the nurse know that you have some questions, but just go a super long way. There is another thing that happened with my brother that it, it, 
didn't make me laugh because that's going to make me sound like really dark, but this happened. Okay. This is a terrible analogy, but I have to go <laughs> with my third kid. It was scheduled section and we had the birthday and it was perfect because <laughs> I'm the, um, my husband's fourth on the eighth. And then he was going to be the 12th. And then the OBGYN office called and said, she's taking vacation. We need to move it. So, okay. He has a different birthday because vacation. So that's always been in my head. So then my brother, Fast forward, not responding to chemo, tumor spreading, got a CT scan, and then the doctor was on vacation for that entire week. So we could see the scan in the record, uh, and then his oncologist was gone, which is great. I'm glad. I truly believe in time off. I think everyone who knows me knows this. And also, I could see where we were headed. We had that was the end of the road with chemo and just looking back, you know, could we have built something into the system where this was going to come back and that someone could have called my brother because we kind of all knew, but he, it was really important for my brother to hear from his doctor and that, and I value that for him. And, and we waited and then it was Monday and that, like next day, Tuesday, he got enrolled in hospice and he died on Wednesday. And so we had a lot of this figuring out, even though he was technically in hospice, we, we didn't know either because they had just basically met us and then he died. And then we were kind of like, oh, what do we do? Uh, so yeah, that was kind of, I don't want this to come off like I'm anti-vacation. I'm very pro, but how can we build that mm-hmm. time in and still take care of our patients who are in a super, super vulnerable, incredibly vulnerable yeah. moment? Yeah. Definitely. Which probably means like having more resources that are focused on stuff like that, um, which is, as we know, Sometimes not prioritized. <laughs> um, did you feel like some sort of obligation during that time, like seeing the scan and like knowing what it showed as like someone who could like read that and see to like move things along or do something? Or like, did you feel like, yeah. do you feel thoughts like that? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, think about all of the steps all the time. And I think now with a little more time, I can see, I can see it now in a different way than I saw it then. I mean, then I was all in and I, and that was another thing like um, the doctor sister, but that's why you're not a doctor sister because you're a sister, you're a sister. And uh, yeah, I think that there was probably, I was feeling a lot of responsibility that not a single person was like putting on me, uh, and that I still feel in that, you know, what if this, and what if that, and what if I had said this or called mm-hmm. that person and used this privilege or, um, but I kind of think probably in this particular case, it wouldn't have changed things, but yeah. 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 You do put so much responsibility on yourself. I mean, that's how, I mean, you, you do that anyway, but then in this moment, I mean, I remember you talking about that. I remember that week. Um, so rough. Yeah. 
And then my brother, he died and like everyone wasn't there yet. Yeah. And that I definitely, I was like, how could I not have known this was going to happen? Like that was my job to know and tell everybody. And uh, yeah, I still think that probably. But yeah, it's just, but that's like, that's just you, like, even if you know in your head, like that wasn't my job, you're going to continue to say and feel that was my job. It's just, it's just a um, inner conflict that we, I don't know how we resolve that. Mm -hmm. We've Mm -hmm. chosen this path and Mm -hmm. we're we're here. So, yeah, I mean, I was in a very different place. My parents are very elderly. My my dad did not want to die though. And so I was doctor, daughter, I was daughter, you know, all the way, like we are going to keep him alive as long as possible because that's what he wants. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt responsible for everything that went wrong. I think with my situation, I was, like, finding this new, like, well, like, I knew this. So, like, I should have known situation that, like, in med school, it's like, yeah, sure. Like, you kind of know. But, like, I hadn't seen my friend for about a year because I'd moved out here for residency. I knew that he had a drinking problem. Like, we all knew But then I looked at pictures of him from the past year and I was like, if I had seen him, I would have known. And like knowing, being unsure if other people had also known that made me feel upset because it's like I could have done something with like this expertise that I had potentially, but like hopefully other people saw it and knew, but I don't know that for a fact. Uh, And so it's kind of like carrying that piece of we have this expertise and there's like an obligation to do something with it. I have a question. It kind of goes off of something you said, Nicole, you kind of talked about like going back into the hospital and like navigating that or like going back to work afterwards. Uh, Were there anything like any resources, any things that people did, uh, any pretty much anything that was like helpful for you and for all of you? Yeah, I think just like being understanding that it's impossible to know exactly what someone's going through, even if you've also been through something difficult or if you haven't at all, even more so, so hard to, you know, kind of relate and like truly understand where that person's mindset is. But everyone seemed very, very genuine and understanding and, you know, I remember one day one of our chiefs came in our workroom and like, it's like, how are you doing? And I just started crying. So it's just one of those days. And then next thing I knew, Dr. White had talked to her and she texted me like, go home early this weekend because flying back home. And it's like little things like that. I think in these situations, you're not going to ask for something, mm-hmm. but it is, it's awkward. You know, we're used to like a, operating at this high level and, you know, no one wants to say, I can't do this, but having people around you who know that, you know, you're human, it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I just think people were genuine, generally pretty understanding. So thank you, Dr. White. And Dr. Brandenburg. <laughs> no, it was Dr. White. She also, Kelly also did the same thing. Like I, you, I mean, you, you saw me and you're like, should I get some coverage for clinic? And I'd be like, oh, I think I'll be fine. And she's like, I 
think I'm going to get some coverage for your clinic. And you did that more than once, which I, but, but I, I think you don't, you don't in the moment think to ask for it or see for sure that you should need it. Um, but to have people watching out for you and to recognize that, yeah, um, I'm going to help you make this decision and, and that you, it's okay to take time off from work. It's actually more than okay. It's the right thing to do. Um, but you, we need a nudge sometimes. It's, we're so messed up. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's for punishment. Yeah. 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 How many times? You did that a lot for me. So I appreciate it. This, we can call the, this episode, Thank You, Dr. White. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. White. <laughs> I love that title. And I think it just goes into that natural, like, or not natural, I don't know, built instinct that medicine has created in us to, like, compartmentalize and, like, move forward that, like, sometimes that's the first thing you reach for. And it's, as we know, not going to be helpful. But, like, we need people to be like, hey, hold on like take a step back sometimes to like give ourselves permission to do that and actually like heal and be real people. I want to give you guys like a chance to say anything else that you want to bring up. Otherwise I do want to be cautious of your time. Um, But any like last thoughts, things that think would be helpful for people specifically people who haven't had to go through something like this yet because we all know that we will eventually um kind of like words of advice or whatever you've got for final thoughts i I think we kind of talked about it but you know people aren't going to tell you what they need so just giving it to them without even you know no matter how small you think it is or how insignificant it is it goes a long way my first day back to work someone brought me starbucks that morning like that was she didn't have to that made me happy to go back to work you know on a day that just knowing wow she's there for me in this way and i don't know people in your life just will show up and let them in let them do that cuz you can't carry it alone and then in the aftermath you know i've learned quickly that grief isn't linear and it's not just going to go away one day or like get better in this upward, you know, pattern or whatever. Um, It comes up and just being there for people and kind of understanding that, you know, things have changed and that's how it's, how it is and just being there. So. That like so incredible that you can say all those things even right now like I just I think um I think if you allow yourself to be so genuine and vulnerable you can like you are being connect with other people and it's the community that's gonna hold you up I think because I think with kind of like okay, this tragedy happened in my life. I'm going to take this time off. And then you come back and you are not the person that you were. And you don't feel that way inside at all. And not everybody knows that. So I couldn't agree more with like, just kind of continue to reach out. And uh, it's one of my long-term projects is to build something in. (laughs) I think we've all alluded to it tonight, but it's kind of this idea that we just like, 
death occurs, but it's not part of something that we really deal with. And now, um, and how do we deal with it in our own lives? And what does that look like? Do we get time off? Do we get some intermittent time off after our time off? Do we get counseling? Yeah, I, um, I'd echo some of those things. And uh, yeah, put in a plug for counseling therapy. Like it's, um, you know, we, we need to role model what we tell people that they should take advantage of. And it is a great tool. Um, but I also would say I echo that sort of admiration for the way you're able to reflect right now. I think, I think we, yeah, let people in. Um, if you haven't experienced grief, reach out even if you don't know what to do do i mean it, it doesn't matter if you don't know what to do just do something do what comes naturally um and i think you know because you're vulnerable and open the people around you will probably be better doctors for knowing you like you, you know you can put that piece on out there too um you know this this profession hid so much of that for so long and had this weird sort of you know stoic invincible persona that um hurt patients hurt families hurt physicians and you know it's it's people who are really dealing with it in an open honest way that are going to probably move everybody to a better place you have to hope someday well i was going to say the same thing so we could just (laughs) say it together i'm going to try and say it at the same time well, we, we really, really appreciate. Fijian's <laughs> like, I'm gonna cut that. <laughs> we really appreciate you guys sharing your stories and being like so open and reflective about this. And I think it's a really important thing for all of us to learn from and learn how to support each other and ourselves mm-hmm. through these situations. And um, thank you, Dr. White, but also everyone else too. <laughs> but, name of the episode yes you guys know that we think the world of you guys and we really appreciate you guys opening up and can i say i love our guests or is that like too far (laughs) i love our guests thanks for having us yeah thank you we love you yeah yeah this is great yeah you guys are great thank you thank you all and that's a wrap Check out our show notes and follow us on MedX and Instagram to get the most up-to-date information on what the Review of Systems crew is up to. Shout out to our executive producer, Jan Sadie and Whitney Gould for creating our music and graphics. And shout out to our additional executive producer, Dr. Hannah Carr. Woo woo! Doesn't she want the shout out? But she's not an executive producer. She's just an assistant producer. No, she's an EP. I think she's an AP. Bijan always calls her an EP. Okay, EP. And with that, I'd say a 14-point review of systems is complete. Wait, I just realized, does it mess up if I don't have my headphones in? I don't have my headphones in either. It's fine. But I'm recording. I think it's fine. Okay. Okay.